Uh, open with me today in Matthew chapter 4. Um, Matthew chapter 4 this morning, um, as I'm going to be talking about uh, something that has really been put on me, um, not just this morning, but uh, for the entirety of my ministry. And the Lord spoke to me early on in my ministry, and He spoke something very weird to me that I don't think I really wanted to hear. Um, but the body definitely needs today is the Lord spoke to me and he said, Andrew said, I'm going to give you the ability to understand the enemy like no one else ever has. Um, and you know, that's, that's not a good thing you want to hear, but it's also a good thing that you, that we should long to hear. But, uh, being younger in, in the faith at the time and just starting my ministry, I definitely didn't want to hear that the Lord was going to, uh, teach me about the enemy more than anybody else knew about the enemy. Because that means I have to go into enemy territory a lot. I have to go into the darkness. I have to go into the areas where he's taking control and come up against powers and principalities. And, and uh, I wanted to hear, Andrew, I'm going to teach you how to know more about me more than anybody else ever has. Because that's, that's what we want. We want to know Jesus. But what I have found um, through that aspect of him teaching me about the enemy is that I get to understand him better. Because to understand the enemy, I have to understand uh, the person that's for me as well, or I can't go where he wants me to go. So um, in Matthew chapter 4 is, is where I'm going to be today um, as I begin to talk about this. And basically what, what I want to say to you this morning is that the enemy is not who you think that he is. He's deceived you into believing that he's something that he's not. And if I can teach the body of Christ um, this simple truth that I'm going to try to convey to you this morning in about 30, 30 minutes or so uh, of talking, if the body of Christ can grab this, then the enemy will be running from us instead of us running from him. And we'll be sitting at the feet of Jesus while he runs and uh, we'll be rejoicing with the Father and singing holy, holy, holy with the angels now, not just when we get to heaven. And I think we can all say amen to that because I think that's where we want to be. Um, so in, in John or in Matthew four, we start off, and in, in one of the first verses I want to I want to talk about here is four one. It says, "Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil." Now you say, "Wait a minute! The Spirit of God is supposed to lead me to Jesus." Well, what if I told you that the Spirit of God, the only way the Spirit of God can lead you to Jesus is through temptation in the wilderness? That's a word right there that you can grab a hold of and hang on to for the rest of your life and just get wrecked by. Because if Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted, and you're not being led up by your Spirit that's on you into the wilderness to be tempted, you're probably not going the right way because that's the way that Jesus went. And He said, walk as I walk and do greater things. So we have to walk the way that He walks and do greater things. And one of the big parts of that piece of Scripture says He was led up. I got a question last night. It was so amazing because I just I do a Bible study most nights or some type of discipleship program here at, at the Waken Ministries base. 
And last night I decided I was going to do a Bible study, and I just went to one of the one of the people here, and I said, "Pick a book of the Bible now." And they said Matthew. And then I went around, and I said, "Pick, say a number," and someone said four. And we turned to Matthew four, and I just began to laugh, and I said, "That's hilarious because this is what the Lord had told me to talk about tomorrow." That was confirmation of the Father saying, "This is what I need to be taught because this is not just something that you are seeing now, but we're putting together these messages to put on a podcast and." On on Facebook or YouTube or something. I don't know what they're going to do with it, but we're going to get it out there for the body to be able to hear. And most of the things that I say, the people of the church today don't want to hear, but they're going to have to hear it anyways because we're in a time and a place where what I'm saying must be heard because the Father's wanting to convey it to His people. So I got a question last night. It says, why does it say that He was led up? Led up, led up. And I said, because climbing the mountain, we have to be led up through temptation to climb the mountain. The wilderness is not in the valley. The wilderness is on the way up the mountain because we have to take a step to start climbing the mountain before we ever even brought into our wilderness that we need in our life. This is what Moses found out very quickly that he, even though he went to rescue these people and he went through all these trials, he was taking these steps to start climbing his mountain. And he was climbing the mountain in Egypt when he was with Pharaoh. But then all of a sudden he found himself in a wilderness. You mean to tell me you think that he went back down the mountain? No. The wilderness was on the way up the mountain, I would tell you this morning. I'm preaching this morning, guys. Come on now. Everybody's just so quiet. Amen. So the Spirit will lead us into all truth. That's what John 16, 13 says, right? If you know your Bible, John 16, 13, Jesus said, truly I tell you that I must go so the Spirit may come and He will lead you into all truth. So we got all truth in John 16, 13. This is way later on in the, in the life because this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. But we see this truth even right here that, the, that the, the Spirit had to lead Him into truth. And the truth that He had to be led into was that he was that he would be the truth that he would be led into would awaken him into his ministry it would awaken him into his authority because he gets baptized by John the spirit descends upon him like a dove and remains and immediately leads him up into the wilderness to be tempted by the enemy. The Spirit of God has not changed. It was the same at the beginning and it's the same now. When God said, let, the, let, let us create the heavens and the earths, the Spirit of God was there. It was the same then, leading into all truth as it is now, leading into all truth as it was right here on this day, leading Jesus into all truth. And that simple truth was that we must be tempted in order to step into the greater things of God. Now, you don't want to hear that this morning because you don't want to be tempted. You just want to, you just want to love Jesus and, and bust into ministry and, and have people fall at your feet worshiping God and the people get healed and they get delivered. The dead will raise just because you say the name of Jesus. Someone told me one time because one of the big things that we flow in here at Awaken Ministries that the Lord's put on my life is deliverance ministry with me understanding the darkness. And people will tell me all the time, you know, I can cast out a demon anytime I want. And they say, I just say, go in Jesus' name. And I look at them and say, and then what? If it doesn't happen then, then what? Because I've stood beside people when they'll say, I command you to go in Jesus' name. And the demon just laughs at them. So then what? 
The problem is the seven sons of Sceva found out very quickly. They said, we command you to go in the, in the Jesus that Paul speaks of. And the demon responded and said, Paul I know and Jesus I know, but who are you? Why didn't the enemy know him? Because he hadn't been tempted by him. The seven sons of Sceva had not walked through temptation and trial with the enemy. They had not walked hand in hand, so to speak, with the enemy being tempted and walking through things that would make the enemy know them. See, right here in this moment, in this chapter, we see the enemy getting to know Jesus. Still very unsure about who that he is because he asked him several times, if you are the Son of God. Not I know you are the Son of God, not I think you are the Son of God, but if you are the Son of God. He's trying to figure it out. He's trying to figure out, who are you? And as you walk through temptations in your life, the enemy's trying to figure out, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? And if he's not threatened by you, he don't care about you. Let me tell you today, guys, that the enemy needs to care about you. He needs to be worried about you. He needs to be thinking about you. He needs to be trying to figure out who is this. We need to live in such a way that it makes the enemy doubt Scripture itself and say maybe this is Jesus reincarnated. Maybe this is Him fully manifested. Maybe I need to be worried that this is the one that's coming to cut my head off and destroy me forever. Because Jesus said that we should be full of Him. That we should walk full of the Holy Ghost, full of Jesus, fully conveying Him, fully projecting Him out into the world to such a way that they see Jesus in us. Everyone prays all the time, everywhere I go. I want it to just be Jesus, none of me, just all Jesus. And that's a great prayer. I want that too. But does the enemy know you? Because the enemy knew Jesus. The enemy was scared of Jesus. The enemy didn't know who he was exactly. They didn't know if he was the son of God, but they knew that he was a son to be feared. You need to be that. You need to be a daughter. You need to be a son that is feared by the enemy where he says, if you are the son of God. If you are. Maybe you might be. See, the seven sons of Sceva, they hadn't walked through any trials or temptations to have a relationship with Jesus, but they hadn't also walked through any trials or temptations to have a relationship with the enemy. So they had no power. They had no authority of, of Paul, the name, the Jesus that he talks about. No, you need to have the Megan Jesus that I've been talking about, the understanding of my relationship with Jesus. See, see he was feared because of his relationship with the Father. He wasn't feared because the Holy Spirit had fell upon him. He was feared because of his relationship with the Father. His knowledge of the things of God. That he would only do what he's seen and heard the Father do and say. That's who we need to be today. Hallelujah. I'm preaching to y'all this morning. This is thick and I know this is a lot. Just, just take a second here. Just breathe. It's okay. We'll make it through this. Because I've only made it through the first note in my page. <laughs> the temptation and the attack of the enemy should always lead you into a greater level of authority. You should rejoice when he comes. And you should rejoice when he goes. You should understand what Jesus tells us in these three pieces of Scripture where he's being tempted three different times that the enemy was there because Jesus needed him to be, and when Jesus no longer needed him to be there, he commanded him to go. You don't believe me? All right, well, let's go on down here. It says in, in Matthew 4.10, it says, Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan! 
For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and Him only you shall serve. He's telling him right there, I always serve God, but you're going to serve me. You're going to do your job regardless. Regardless. As I, as I study this scripture and as I talk about it in other aspects, and even again last night as we were talking about it, I always get this same question in Matthew 4.10, right here what we just talked about. People go, why? Why, why didn't Jesus just rebuke him in the beginning? Why didn't you rebuke him in the beginning? If he had that power, why walk through that temptation? Well, there's several reasons. There's several reasons. And you probably heard a bunch of them preached. But I want to tell you just one of them today. Uh, uh, he had to be led into truth to overcome the temptation of the enemy to step into more. He knew that he needed to go through one, two, and three in order to move on to where we see him go next, which is over into the land of Zebulun and Naphtali and begin to preach. And he didn't go until, until what, guys? Until he heard that John the Baptist had been put in prison. Well, why is that significant? Because Jesus knew Scripture. He knew what was supposed to happen. He knew what was going to happen. Not because the Father had told him everything, but the Father had told him what he needed to know in each moment. He said, I only do what I see and hear the Father do. That's in a momentary glimpse, remaining in relationship with the Father so that you can see what he's doing in each moment so that you know what to do in each moment. You don't always understand what he's doing. He may tell you to say things and you don't know why. You just obey. You just say them and you just move and you flow in the spirit of wisdom that comes from the heavenly places. And you do what he tells you to do and all of a sudden things start happening that you can't imagine. So, he moved on to Naphtali and Zebulun because he found out that John the Baptist was in prison. Well, that's his friend that we also know that that's his cousin. So why wouldn't Jesus immediately run to try to help John the Baptist? He's been baptized in the Holy Spirit. He's in the wilderness. He's walked through his temptation. He now could go with power and freeing because that wasn't the mission. He knew John the Baptist had to be in prison. He knew that he was going to be killed. And as he was killed, greater power and authority would come upon him and he would step into greater things. So instead, he moves on to these cities and begins to proclaim the kingdom of God is at hand. He proclaims the kingdom of God is at hand. He is the kingdom. But he doesn't say, here I am. He says the kingdom of God is at hand. That's what we need to proclaim today. Hallelujah. So I want to go back and just for a second, I want to talk with you all um, about the enemy here. Just for a second. Uh, if you want to, you're more than welcome to turn in your Bibles. This is going to come out of Revelation 12, 7 through 11. Um, a lot of this teaching here. A lot of times people will talk to me about the enemy. They disagree with the teachings that I say and the things that I do, and that's okay. I have Scripture to back it up. And, and before I had the Scripture to back it up, the Spirit of God had spoken these things to me. I did not know these things from studying the Word. I wasn't a, 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 a Bible man. I wasn't a guy that lived in the Bible all the time prior to my encounter with the Lord about four and a half years ago now. Um, and even after that encounter, I wasn't. I was someone that dwelled on my face. I was someone that dwelled in the secret place. I was someone that, that laid around and prayed to God five and six hours a day because I knew that I needed Him. And the Lord began to speak to me about the enemy. And He said, he said Andrew, he said, he said, the Word says that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And He said, but He's looking for who He may devour, not who He shall devour. And I want to tell you that, that way back in the garden, the enemy come to look for whom He may devour. And they, they, he, he convinced them to give up what they had. He didn't steal anything. He didn't kill anything. He didn't destroy anything. We did. 
We did when we were tempted and talked in to giving something up. What did they give up? They gave up their ability to walk with the Father. It said that Adam walked with God in the cool of the day. Now we're trying to get back to that. That's something that I believe we're going to. Not that I'm saying we're going back to the garden. Not saying that I'm going back to being Adam and Eve. We're going on to something greater, but we're going to the mentality of what the garden held for us, the ability to walk hand in hand with the Father in the cool of the day. So if he doesn't come to kill, steal, and destroy, you say, well, Andrew, what, what is his purpose? I'll tell you that his purpose is the same that it's always been. Well, what was that for us that don't know? Well, let me tell you. I'm glad you asked. We have, we have two, two things that we know about Satan from, from heaven that, that, is, that makes him very different from every other angel that was ever made um, from the Father. He's the only one that we know that held two positions as an angel. From all of Scripture, from my studies, if someone else knows more than that, amen, please email me. I would love to... To, to know what that is, I can be emailed at uh, uh, riseup at awaken-ministries.com. Please send that in. I'd love to study that. But as far as I know, there's only two things. that He's the only angel that had two positions. He was an archangel and he was a cherub. The cherub means he got to walk back and forth in front of the throne room. He got to worship and lead people in worship of God. He got to be in close proximity to the throne room that housed the glory. The other job was he was an archangel. Um, we, we, everyone knows Michael. He was an archangel, and we know that uh, Jesus or, or Michael stood with Lucifer, and they were arguing over the bones of Moses. And Michael wouldn't fight him. He said, "The Lord Jesus rebuke you." We know these things. We've heard it taught in religion and in church, and as we've grown up, uh, knowing things about God and just being in assemblies, and those are great teachings. But in, in Revelation twelve seven through eleven, we, we find out that, that God calls him the deceiver of the world. Not the destroyer of it. Not the thief of it. Not the liar of it. But just the deceiver. The deceiver. He comes to deceive. He comes to manipulate. And he comes to take something that's been given to you that's been taken from him because he was stripped from all power and all authority. But to say that the enemy has no power and no authority is foolish because he is walking with power and authority, that of which that he's stolen from other people. And, and not even stolen, but just convinced them into giving up. Every time that he speaks a lie to you, and instead of you being like Jesus in the wilderness and you saying, for it is written, and you turn to the Father, most of you run from the Father, and when we run from the Father, we're no longer holding the line that the Father put us on, and even stepping further into Him, so we lose some power and authority instead of gaining it. We watch Jesus through the wilderness gain power and authority as He steps closer to the Father. So he was the deceiver of the world. That's what he calls him. Then there's another, there's another part there in Revelation 12, 7 through 11 that's very interesting to me that said, and, and it's something that I teach, I tell people all the time, his job was never changed, just his location was. Because this is something the Spirit of Truth spoke to me in my prayer closet. He said, Andrew, I never changed his job. His job is still the same. His job is still to lead people into worship of me. His job is still to bring people to my feet. He's just manipulated his own creation to make you believe that he's something that he isn't. He's made you believe that he's this huge lion that's coming to devour you. It says that he walks around like a lion, not that he is a lion. Now you need you gotta pay attention to those little bitty words in there like the ands and the he's and the saws. You gotta pay attention. That's S-A-W, not S-A-U-L. You gotta pay attention to those like a lion, not is a lion. 
Because I've heard people say, he's a, he's, a, he's a lion walking around looking for whom he may devour or looking for who he will devour. And that's not Scripture because you changed a piece of it. See, this is the biggest problem that Eve had in the garden. It wasn't that she ate from the tree of the forbidden fruit. It was that she changed the Word of God because God said that you cannot eat of it or you shall die. And she said, he said, we could not look at it, touch it, or eat it, or we would die. God never said that. She added to the Word of God. This is the biggest thing I believe that took place there in the garden that led to some of this downfall. It wasn't eating of the forbidden fruit, and, and, and obviously, yes, stepping into knowledge of good and evil. That was a big thing, but what allowed that to happen was she manipulated the Word of God. She changed it in a moment of weakness, and that's where the enemy said, I've got you, because I've got a loophole here where I can get you where I want you to be. This is why we see him tempting Jesus with Scripture. He's saying, for it is written. Jesus responds, no, for it is written. For it is written, no, for it is written. For it is written, no, for it is written. He didn't step away from Scripture. He didn't change it. He didn't add to it. He didn't try to make it sound better. You can't sound better than Scripture, guys. This is the best thing in your life. So back to what I was saying, his job didn't change, his location did. We'll prove that through Scripture. Okay, I will. It says that there was no place found for him in heaven. And that's all it says. There was no place found for him in heaven. They sent him to earth. And the next Scripture goes on to talk about the heavens rejoice, but woe to earth. The heavens rejoice, but woe to earth. Because now he's here to manipulate. He's going to try to come and steal, kill, and destroy. But you get to stand on the firm foundation of the Word and say, no, for it is written. As we just found a, a, an old man of God preaching a sermon that, that we like to walk around here and say now, we're actually going to put it on some t-shirts. We'd like to say, hit him! Hit him! For it is written! Because that's what Jesus did. He hit him with the Scripture and the enemy had to flee. It says if you resist him, he shall flee. We'll never beat the enemy, but we can resist him. And when we, when we walk in power of the Word, knowledge of the Word, we can rebuke him with the Word and stand on the firm foundation of for it is written. If it was written, it's given to you, you believe it, you can walk in power if you're walking hand in hand with the Father. So guys, it's time. It's time for us to stop running from the enemy and allowing him to pull us away from the feet of Jesus and deciding that we don't want temptations and trials, that we want this make-believe bubbly world that only exists when you live in the world. I'm going to tell you that things will go awesomely right when you're living for hell. For a moment. And then he's got you. And then he's going to come and destroy you. Because he's looking for whom he may devour and you already gave him permission. And you have temporary pleasures that will not last. So don't be discouraged and don't be upset when trials and temptations come. Rejoice. Because the Spirit of truth is leading you in. It's leading you into a greater level of knowledge. A greater level of wisdom. A greater level of authority. A greater level of power. I'll tell you, I've traveled all over the world for the gospel. There's some countries I haven't been in, some nations I haven't been in. I believe that I'll see them all. But I've been a lot of places in the short amount of time that I've been doing this traveling for the gospel. And I'm going to tell you, we've moved a lot. And I've never had a move that was easy. I've never had God speak a word to me. And as I began to move towards that word, that it was easy to get to the word. What I have found is that there's a momentary, momentary section 
uh, of it being easy and, and it's awesome and you see some great things and then all of a sudden it seems like all hell's breaking loose. loose. And you're trying to figure out what's going on. Well, Scripture's already told you what's going on. The Spirit has ascended upon you like a dove and has led you into the wilderness to be tempted by the enemy. Now, I don't believe the wilderness is one season in your life or one time in your life. I believe that we can walk through many wildernesses that prepare us for the greater level. I think Chris Vallotton, he was, he was talking one day and he said, he said so many people say when God closes a door, He opens a window. And, and I always didn't believe that because I, before I was even serving God like I am now, I didn't see that. I thought that was a bunch of bull crap that preachers were saying from the podium. And yeah, I say crap for mine. And I just didn't believe that because I hadn't seen it. And Chris said this. He said, he said I want to tell you that when God closes one door, there's going to be hell in the hallway. And that was where he stopped. And as I began to think about that, the, the Spirit of God began to speak to me. And he said, Andrew, do you know why there's hell in the hallway? And I said, no, I don't, but I believe it. I said, because I've walked through the hell in the hallway and I ain't seen no open door. I've just been in the hallway in the darkness with no doors and no windows and just getting beat up by the enemy and I can't figure out why. He said, Andrew, he said, because I, I, when I close one door and you're in the hallway, there's got to be hell because the hell that you need to walk through to get to the door that that's the end is preparing you for the hell that's on the other side of the door. So we're going to walk through hell to confront hell. Ain't that awesome? Ain't that awesome that we get to walk through hell to confront hell? Because the Lord said to me, He said, Andrew, if you don't walk through the hell in the hallway, when I open the door on the other side that's got bigger demons and bigger problems, they're going to punch you in the face. Boom! And you're just going to lay down and give up. But because you walk through the hell in the hallway, when that door opens and there stands a, stands a bigger devil than the one that, that you just had faced behind the other door, you've already walked through this hell to prepare you. And you look at him and you go, ha! For it is written. Get out of here. And he has to step aside and let you through. And then he's following you, picking at you as you walk in the things of God. And he's whispering lies to you. And he's trying to get you to turn around and look at him. But if you just keep looking at Jesus and this little devil's following you around, he can't keep up with you because you're walking in the greater things of God. And every time you feel him poking, you say, For it is written. For it is written. For it is written. And then you find yourself at another door and you go, oh me. (laughs) And you you stop for a second. Now don't lie now. Don't act like you're all powerful. And you come to the door and you're like, well, that was great. No, you go, that sucked. That's right. (laughs) Jesus, you done brought me to another door now. Why why have I got to go through another door? And the Lord says, for it is written. For it is written that you'll do greater things than I did. And if you want to do the greater things than I did, you've got to keep walking through these doors. You've got to keep overcoming this hell. You've got to keep walking through temptation and struggle. And then you open the door and you start to close it, but you leave it cracked because you know when you close it, it can't be opened again. And now you're stuck in this new hallway. And you, when you open that door and you look in at the hallway, all you see is darkness. You don't see no doors, no windows. There's no light coming in. Because if you want your light to shine, you've got to go into darkness. You got to go in the darkness. What is the hallway? I believe the hallway is a representation of the secret place while still walking in the world to step into the greater things of God. We go into the dark. So then you shut that door behind you. 
And you begin to take step after step through this darkness. And hell is tempting you with old things that you used to hear and they used to get you. You need to look at that pornography. Don't you like that girl over there? Don't you want to tell a lie? Look at that money in that cash register. You used to be a thief. You can have it right now. You can just reach out and grab it. And all the time through the hallway, guess what you got to say? For it is written. For it is written. And you use Scripture. And then you come to the end of that hallway and you finally find a doorknob and then you stop for a moment again. You go, oh crap. But then Jesus looks at you again and says, for it is written. We must continue to walk in the things of God. So you open the door and there's another bigger devil. And you look him right in the eyes and you say, bring it on. So be encouraged today, guys. I'm going to close out now. I could go on. I could I could preach this same this same message probably for six days straight and still have stuff to say because it's so important and it's so untaught. We want to believe in, and I believe in it. So don't say I don't because I believe in it. But we want to believe in prosperity and happiness and health and joy. And I believe in all of that stuff. But I believe the price to those things are the hell in the hallway. Because we have so many people walking in Jesus as Savior, but they never made Him Lord. We have so many people walking in salvation, but so people walking, so few people walking in power. I get this question probably more than anything else. How can we get people, like the Bible says, greater works than these you shall do. How can we get people to do greater works than what Jesus did on the earth if we can't even get them to do what He did? And my answer's always been the same and it'll always be the same. Because we have people that have never moved on, moved from blessing to power. I'm blessed. Amen. Where's the power? I hear it all the time. Everyone goes, How are you doing that? I'm blessed. Amen. Where's the power? How many demons you cast out today? How many souls did you win? How many people got healed today? Well, Jesus didn't want us to do that every day. He did it every day. Everywhere he went. The disciples did it. After he left, they did it every single day. The very first day after Pentecost, Peter stands up that says that he can't speak good and preaches the first crusade and leads 5,000 people to Jesus. There's no power. But the, the, the answer really behind all of that is how come we don't see the works that Jesus did when he told us to do even greater works? How come we're not even seeing what he did? It's because people are selfish. It's because people are looking for people to look at them. Jesus never did one thing for Himself. Never. Everything He did was to be pleasing to the Father. He said, I do. He said everything that I do, I've seen the Father do or heard Him say. Now, ultimately, the Father was saying it for the people that was in front of Jesus, but never for Jesus. Well, yeah, but Andrew, he did it so that he could be magnified and return to glory. Yeah, but that wasn't for him. That was for you. He didn't need to leave glory. He had a great life. He was standing next to you. He says, he says Father, I long to come back to you the way that we were in the beginning. Go all the way back to Genesis. In the beginning was or in first John or in John 1, it says, In the beginning was the word, and words were with God. That word with means face to face. He was standing face to face with the Father. Eye to eye, nose to nose, and mouth to mouth. And he left that for you. He didn't leave that for him. 
No one in their right mind would leave that. Thankfully for us, when Jesus made that decision, he was spirit, not flesh. Because I don't know if he could have done that as a man. He did a lot of things as a man, but I don't know if he could have left the Father as a man. Because I couldn't, but he's better than me. Good thing I'm not Jesus and the Father's trying to get me to leave his face. Y'all probably all burn. I'm just going to stay with him. That's just what I've decided, guys. I'm going to stay with Jesus. I'm going to follow Him. I'm going to stay face to face as close as I can get. I want to feel His breath on my lips. I want to look into His eyes and see them sparkle. When He loses an eyelash, I want to watch it fall just till it gets out of vision because I'm not going to follow it down. I'm not going to move my face from His to watch an eyelash fall to the floor. I'm just going to pray over y'all this morning. I'm going to pray a weird prayer for y'all. I'm going to pray that the temptation that came against Jesus in the wilderness will be brought into your life. That the struggle and the strife will come because it will guide you in to more of Him. So Father, we thank You that Your Word, it is written, that we'll be led up into the wilderness by the Spirit, into truth, to be tempted by the enemy. But we'll hold steadfast in You. And as we hold steadfast to You, we get to have a relationship with the Word like never before because we get to know it in a way like never before. For it is written. I thank You that that temptation and that trial will bring on prosperity, that it will bring on joy, that it will bring on peace, that it will bring on health. Because we're on a journey to the top of the mountain and healing is available along the way. Deliverance is available along the way. Prosperity and joy and happiness and peace is available along the way. But what I know for sure is when we get to the top of the mountain, all of it will be ours. If we didn't get it on the journey, it will be available when we get there. Because we won't take our eyes off of you. We won't let our eyes drop for just a moment not even to see an eyelash fall to the floor. Because although it comes from you, it's not as holy as you. So give us the temptations and the trials that you have planned for our life that will help us look at your face. To overcome temptation, step into power every single day is a greater level of power. I haven't seen the dead raised yet, you would say, but tomorrow's a new day. Because today, Satan said, if you are. And we looked at him and said, for it is written, I am. Let us have more of you, Jesus. Let us have more of You. Let the power and the authority that You want us to walk in be not for ourselves. Let us not focus on what it can do for us. Let us not focus on it building our own kingdom, although You said we'll be kings and priests. But let our kingdom be in full surrender to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Shit, I don't put
I say, mercy come. Lord Jesus, we need Your mercy as we walk through these temptations and these trials. To keep hunger at bay so that we're not hungry until we finished our fast. For it is written, Mercy come! Mighty winds of heaven blow in this place. Let it guide us to Your face. Let us fall at Your mercy. And may every day end with well done, my good and faithful servant. Because we live our entirety of every day with the simple prayer of Jesus, I need You. I thank You, Jesus, and I love You. Amen. Thanks, guys, for joining. See you next week.